So this week on NG Digital, we're doing something slightly different. We're going to broadcast a performance from a group project working with the Heritage Lottery, Double Impact, and a willing group of participants and artists. Access to Heritage is a pilot project working with people in recovery from substance misuse and addiction. The project is to encourage the group to engage with various forms of heritage in their local area through a programme of supported group visits to local sites of interest. They touched upon areas such as criminality, poverty and justice, its social consequences and its social reform, and they included some portrayals of outlaws in literature and popular entertainment. This sharing event presents a series of performances and pieces that showcase what the group has learned, experienced and drawn inspiration from in the course of 11 weeks of access to heritage workshops. So sit back and relax for an evening of fantastical entertainment featuring the access to heritage players. In the main, the performances are of an audio nature and a performance nature, but we do have one performance by a gentleman called James who narrates over photography. So that may sound a little odd in the overall context, but there is a visual element to that. Obviously, we can't communicate on radio, but no doubt, I'm sure you'll enjoy it anyway. Uh, my name's Adam Nightingale. I'm one of the uh, co-devisers and facilitators of this evening. Um, in the course of the evening, um, we are, well, I'm going to tell you what we've been up to that leads to this event. We have been, uh, over the past three months, we, our Intrepid Five have visited an old Victorian courtroom. An old Georgian prison, one Regency factory, two cemeteries, the site of one long-deceased Nottingham slum. We've, um, we've walked in the footsteps of soldiers, criminals, murderers, one misunderstood Wilford cannibal, um, <laughs> eating 19th century uh, curiosity, and lots and lots and lots and lots of rioters. Um, we even paid a visit to a musical place of popular entertainment. Uh, led by a woman, no less, yes. Uh, so from out of this exotic historic soup, our Intrepid Five have drawn inspiration and produced, with the, the assistance of our incredible sound and, and, and vision alchemist, Pete, yes, uh, the works that are about to commune with your senses, and in the course of the next hour or so, uh, it, it, we, we will see the results of their labours. So it pleases me to introduce our first uh, offering this evening. Uh, he's not shy, so I'm, I'm going to shut my capacious cake hole and <laughs> allow him to speak for himself and perform his works. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Adrian. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Uh, and as you can see, we are in Nottingham. And uh, between 1766 and 1831 to 2, there was two quite disturbing incidents. There was the cheese. Would you be one of those rioters or would you be part of the king's men trying to stop them? So if if you can help me out here that would be much appreciated and what it is if you're in favour of the riots shout hoorah 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 very good very good and if you're not in favour we're just going oh no yeah that's better okay right so i've wrote this and this is like if you was caught up perhaps a bit unexpectedly in a riot. So I've simply called this one Riot Chaos. There is no rhyme, there is no reason in a season of treason 
reading the right act in front of the crowd. The dogs of war are barking, enraged. The mob engaged in disharmony. And to mouth, and to mouth, feast famine, feast famine. Who has the feast and who has the famine? Decent pay for a decent day's work. Send in the dragoons and watch from the castle. And remember this day for justice, for freedom, and much better pay. Thank you. Yay. Woo. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Right, this one uh, is also called, hang on, I called that Riot Chaos. This is called Riot City. And the reason why I've called it Riot City is because of them periods, them dates that I mentioned earlier at the beginning, that's when there was a lot of disturbance within Nottingham. And uh, so I've incorporated a lot of things that happened in between that time from the 1766 cheese riots upwards. Right, so I've just called this Riot City. They heard the crowd the castle was burnt. The Kif Clifton lambs are gang proud of their work. With their names on bricks, weapons made from sticks. The narrow marsh, a den of iniquity. Where the poor sold their excrement for the gardens of the rich. The marsh, a place for many. The water, 31% filth. And the liquor, 100% it in the roof. The din was raucous and foul. The governor of the jail complained, my prisoners can't sleep. Too much profanity coming from below. A female prisoner escapes, tying sheets together from high pavement and to freedom across the marsh. Hey! Only a copper's rattle informs and protects. Whilst reading the riot act, the Lord Mayor said before a barrel of cheese, it him in his head. Thank you. This this uh, final one uh, is a bit contentious, and it might upset a few people. Mm -hmm. So you can give your attitudes, whether you like it. Just remember the I know, I know, or who are, who are. So, I'll explain, well, it's self-explanatory, and uh, it's based on a, quite a popular character uh, within Nottingham history, and uh, it goes something like this. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen. Think that way, that way. <laughs> Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen with his merry men, feared by the rich, but praised by the poor. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, he's dead. Robin Hood was a myth. Robin Hood never existed. No merry men leaping or resisting <coughs> the law and riding through the glen. Someone like him, or her, was gadding about. In Sherwood, or the castle, no doubt. He, or she, was Robin, most certainly. 
with Ud clearly on Ed, thieving from the rich and the well-to-do, then keeping it to themselves. Now there is a thought, evading capture from the dreaded Sheriff of Snottingham. Not so glamorous now. No Elflin or Kevin Costner. No Fry Talk or Will Scarlet to help out in a fight. Santa Claus was a Coca-Cola advert. We've come to love and enjoy. Robin Hood was merely someone wearing an egg garment. So ask yourselves, what is this fuss about Robin Hood who did good or not so good for all of us? Thank you. Um, how do you follow that? <coughs> well, I've got to take the bullet for the team on, on that one. So this, this piece is by me, inspired by an utterly cack-handed um, criminal event that happened in the year 1800, and it's called The Tuneless Ballad of George Cornt. In 1800, a man named George Cornt committed an act of theft in St James's Street in Nottingham. He took his stolen items to his home in Malin Hill, a tiny alleyway cut into the side of a cliff that linked affluent Nottingham with the slums at the cliff's base. The thief didn't cover his tracks particularly well. The constables were very quickly on to him. Three of them stationed themselves outside his living quarters in whatever the Regency equivalent of a stakeout was supposed to be. I suppose the stakeout was a form of proto-police surveillance was in its embryonic stages because the three constables were as conspicuous to George Corn as he was to them. George Corn stayed where he was for three days. Stir-crazy took its toll and George Corn's already questionable judgment began to unspool. Now, if George Corn had been arrested for theft at this point in the story, it's certainly true that he may well have been hanged, hanging for theft, not being entirely off the table, but it wasn't a given. He would have been at the mercy of a magistrate's discretion and may well just as easily have been transported instead. But what George Cornt did next ensured that if captured he would certainly choke to death on Gallows Hill. George Cornt decided to make a run for it. He loaded a large handgun called a horse pistol and stepped out into the street. He was approached by one of the three constables, another George, George Ball. George Cornt shot George Ball and killed him. He eluded the other two constables and left Nottingham in a hurry. I don't know how he got there, but he got as far as Alfreton. Uh, he quickly found new temporary lodgings, but between Nottingham and Alfreton, a wave of fatalism seemed to have overtaken George Cornts. Now, I don't know what he was thinking exactly. I don't have a window into his private musings, but it seems obvious to me, with the benefit of historical hindsight, that George Cornt had reasoned that he would never outdistance the two remaining constables. He was going to die and determined that if that was the case, he would decide the when and the where of it. He got hold of a measure of poison. He took a little sip, swallowed a tiny dram, just a taster before draining the full measure. The door was beaten in. The constables were upon him. They knocked the poison out of his hands. They subdued him. They restrained him. They took him back to Nottingham to stand trial for murder. En route back to Notts, George Cornt's captors were hungry and stopped in a pub for a bite to eat. Now, if there's two common denominators in this saddened story tale, it's negligence and piss-poor judgment. <laughs> Corn's captors ordered bread and cheese. The landlord provided a sharp knife to cut the bread and slice the cheese. The constables were complacent. They left the knife within easy reach of their prisoner. George Corn snatched the knife from the table and plunged it into his chest. 
I suppose his intention was to finish what he'd started in Alfreton, puncture the heart and die his own way. But George Court missed his heart, his lungs and any other vital internal organs. He stabbed himself in the breastbone by mistake, creating much bloody mess in the process, but achieving very little in the way of fate or damage to his person. For the second time that day, the constables knocked the instrument of George Corn's self-destruction out of his hands. They re-restrained him and took him to Nottingham without further incident. As George Corn sat in his cell in Nottingham County Jail awaiting his trial for murder, the small amount of poison he had ingested in Alfreton that wasn't enough to kill him quickly but was present enough in his system in quantity enough to kill him slowly took immediate effect. He died two days later. Death by hanging would have been considerably less painful. But that's not the end of the story. If anything, the tale becomes even more bizarre from this moment forward. There was a coroner's court to establish cause of death. The verdict was fellow de se, Latin, literally felon of oneself. Suicide, in other words, obviously. But back in 1800, to commit suicide was so much more shameful than it is today with practical and arguably metaphysical consequences. George Court could not be buried in a hallowed ground with a headstone or a marker. His body was planted without a proper coffin in Sandhill Cemetery for suicides at the top of the Derby Road. He shared the earth with a man who had had a stake driven through his heart for fear that he would rise again and terrorise the neighbourhood. People still believe such things back in 1800. He shared the earth with a man whose skull would be dug up and used as a paperweight in a newspaperman's office. It was a humiliating interment. But George Corn had friends. They found his situation intolerable and decided to dig him up and rebury him somewhere more sanctified. George Corn's friends exhumed his body under cover of darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was ever in a position where I had to dig up a close friend and rebury him somewhere else, I would probably have figured out where I was going to bury him beforehand. <laughs> but these were George Corn's friends. And so the small band of idiot Antigones lugged George Corn's corpse around with them for two entire days before settling on an appropriate place to bury him. They chose a plot in a Baptist graveyard in a street called Stony Street, yards away from Malin Hill, where earlier that week an armed and argu arguably unnecessarily desperate George Corn had left his lodgings and set the entire sorry cycle of events. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I trust you are enjoying our show. At this point in the proceedings, I beg your indulgence as for the next few minutes I show you the future. Let me take you forward to show you a glimpse of two future decades. Our first stop is the late 20th century, which was a time of concern as the turn of the new century was approaching and there was a fear that Mr Babbage's glorious invention, which had revolutionised the working world and was also beginning to show its uses to individuals in their personal life, would be wiped out by a new form of life form of which Mr Darwin would be intrigued as well as concerned by. But the fears were unfounded and around this time the city welcomed me as a regular visitor. 
life was good with my partner, and as, as this seemed like a nice place, I decided to uproot from my hometown and move permanently to start a new life here. As my residency began, things continued to go well, but it wasn't long before. And now we find ourselves in the year 2018. It's a time of uncertainty, anger, despair, hatred and intolerance, where the issues that should be focused on and being acted against are ignored for fear of being politically incorrect. And at all times we must ensure the snowflakes are happy. Thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of our show. pretty new to knots compared to everybody else here um, and my experience has been uh, like ups and downs but like over the past six months it's been pretty phenomenal uh, so I have two poems based around kind of the experiences I've had over the past three months with these guys but also kind of just trying to figure out what my thoughts are about the city so this one's called there's something about knots the North-South divide doesn't matter, and you don't have to hear people slander the English language. It's bath, not bath here. There's something about knots. The locals here are proper friendly. No regional accent will offend thee. No, eh lad, you're not from these parts. There's something about knots. The city centre's so compact, there's no chance you'll lose your path. You'll always find your own way back. There's something about knots. The people here have got some passion because they cause a stir in a right fashion. Not scared to tell the government off, there's something about knots. <laughs> Activism is real in this city and it's not always dead pretty. There's always food for thought, there's something about knots. This city overflows with artists, creativity just can't be tarnished. Look around you, there's loads to harvest, there's something about knots. If I cannot make you see that there is no better place to be, to stick savers off you should be, there's something about knots. Uh, and this second one is a bit more personal, but it's called This City Speaks to Me, and it's a bit of a reflection of like, my time here and stuff, so yeah, we'll see. We spoke about a focus on the outsider. I see my reflection in the shower door, shivering on the bathroom floor. I think, what does it mean to her? I put my phone on silent, sick of high-pitched bleeps. Now my phone is buzzing, she calls me on repeat. Six months ago, I had a mouthful of mud, earth between my teeth, ears stuffed with gravel, wondering what the fuck am I gonna do? Jesus Christ, I'm only 22, and my life is slipping through my fingers. Dry sand, nothing good lingers. My grip is poor, quivering hands. No sleep, sleep, no sleep, count mistakes instead of sheep. Can hear her calling me every day, constantly. She calls on repeat. A buzz can be a background noise, something you get used to, something that can be comforting if you can switch off to it. 
but eventually it'll leave your brain buzzing and your eyes vibrating too and your nose gets itchy till there's only one thing left to do. Slowly, in time, I unearthed myself, dug my head out of the mud and now, this time, it's mine and this city is full of life and life can be hard and life can make us want to tear ourselves apart and life can be bloody bizarre people have riots over cheese the wasteland of a building site was one time full of trees little terrors running riot pinching rich men's pockets poverty so tough and cruel people slept in pools of vomit i answered her call and each Monday I trolled 70 miles to her and 70 miles back, taking every opportunity trying to pack my brain, load it with history, learn about the mysteries of these streets and some of the feet that I am following, and some of the paths that I could follow and the ones that I should not. Learn of battles and bloodbaths, see where brave men got shot. This opportunity, this gift we received from you, to meet, to learn, to try kale kicks, has had a massive impact and I just want to say thank you. In 1831, women were to, pe to appear as virtuous ladies, virginal, waiting to be approached, selfless, having no voice of their own, being manipulated by politics and culture. Any that went against this were to be considered insane and could be committed. For example, refusal to marry. I was only a farmer's daughter. Life is hard enough and sadly I must bear that chances for a girl like me are really just too rare. I was a farmer's daughter, no voice of my own, no voice, no choice and slim rejoice to get my freedom now I've flown. Now here's my reasoning. I heard about a man sold his wife at the fair for one and six. She were better than ten of him, but he didn't seem to care. Where's your choice when you have no voice? So, before I'd ever be a wife, I really must declare that I wouldn't mind a partner, but I'd want my equal share. Maybe a choice for a girl with no voice? Suppose I could have been a working drudge with a boss that wouldn't budge, working for near nothing every hour of my life, or doubting and scraping, giving rights up as a wife, living in the narrow marsh, not my cup of tea. It's damp and cramped without a lamp, songs and shouts till all hours we. Perhaps I'd have been a street angel along the foreman beat. You meet all kinds of folk when you use your plates of meat. So, I could have been an angel or a drudge or a wife, but I believe that stuff can only ever lead to strife. What a choice if a girl has no voice. I'd rather have excitement, a life upon the run, my trusty horse beneath me and my solid flintlock gun. The life I really sought was staring right at me, the spice of the threat, excitement, maybe celebrity. What a great choice for a girl who had no voice. After all, crime is in the culture where I live, especially in the politics, the rights I fight to live, when transportation is cheaper and more profitable than prison, where poverty and degradation lead to societal division. Such is life in my world. So, dressed very well in my gentleman's clothes, 
I'd ride all day and mix with them all. They didn't perceive the guys, cause my bluff they didn't call. I loved an open life, excitement, notoriety, outside the boundaries of polite society. My only mistake in retrospect, which was obvious very soon after, when I swapped my horse in Clapton on sea, she found her way right back to me, and that was that I was out to sea. Cause I hadn't had the heart to blind her. Hung in front of Shire Hall, the public came and had a ball. A last cup of ale, then onto the wagon. The price I paid for bed and board, it should have been a flagon. The very last thought I had as the rope began to fall was if I had my life again, I'd probably do it all. The gibbet on the lonely common, swinging in the wind, a body dissected left to rot. Had I so cruelly sinned? What a Hobson's choice for the girl with no voice. Next, I remember being in silent darkness. No light, no sound, just a feeling of heavy, almost crushing pressure from an unseen hand in the back of my neck. Softly at first, a sound began, a sound of breathing, and with each breath the noise grew louder, building in volume till each breath was a gruff, guttural gasp. I began to feel a sensation of motion as I was carried to this unseen breathing thing. Out of the darkness a beam of light appeared, illuminating stone steps leading to a chamber above. I was carried up the steps into the blinding light. As my eyes adjusted, I was released from the vice-like grip. I looked around to see I was standing in an empty courtroom. I turned to see the heavy breathing thing that had brought me here. Before me, towering over me, was a monstrous beast with hyena head that snarled and snorted as it bared its sharp yellow teeth. Recoiling in fright, I saw that the once empty court was now occupied by a multitude of people, but not quite people, animal people with animal heads and animal voices, angry animal voices that barked, brayed and bleated. Alone and afraid, any escape blocked by the snarling jailer beast, I noticed one creature in particular was silent. This one, dressed as a barrister, but with a serpent head, was fixated upon me with an intense predatory gaze. Suddenly, above all the noise came a sharp screech, cutting the menagerie of sound into silence. At the top of the courtroom, upon a throne, sat another animal creature with the aquiline features, a sharp eagle's beak and cold dead alien eyes that looked down upon me with judgement and disdain. In the silence I realised that I was on trial. The animal men and animal women were my jury, the predator serpent my prosecutor, the bird man was my judge. The animal court had begun. We hope you enjoyed the show there from the Access to Heritage players. Uh, I must say a few thanks to those involved with the show. The Heritage Lottery Fund, the Framework Knitters Museum, the National Justice Museum, Adam Nightingale, 
Pete Sound and Vision Spensley, NG Digital and Double Impact with extra special thanks go to Cafe Sobar for hosting the main event. We hope you like what you heard and please listen in again on NG Digital. Thank you.